0: You know, we've been working through here during Advent. Um, we started off with children, and uh, so we focused on Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, you know doing the prophecy. and then we moved last week to parents. We had Mary and Joseph, you know young parents and um and their hopes. and then this week we moved to elders, and the next week we'll we'll go to God, you know, so and the angels and so forth. So this week is on elders, and um, what we need to realize. Is that uh, when Mary and Joseph present their child, Jesus, at the temple, there are these two old saints that hang out at the temple, and they're filled with the Spirit of God, and they're awaiting the Messiah. Been waiting their whole life, the whole cult- culture and country have been waiting for the Messiah. And they're waiting for, as Luke states it, the consolation of Israel. Simeon is the name of the oldest sage, I mean... Uh, the the male sage there, and, um, and the other is Anna. And Luke tells us that she's 84 years old, and she spends all of her days in the temple worshiping, fasting, and praying. Anna is a prophet. And she sees the child Jesus and begins to praise God because now she is seeing the redemption of Israel is at hand. It is now present. And so she rejoices that she lived long enough to see this. Same for Simeon. But America is a strange culture compared to the biblical culture. We don't know what to do in our culture with old age. We, we just don't know what to do with it in modern Western culture. America worships youth. And social scientists can probably come up with a quick list of why Americans don't value our elder years. Maybe it's individualism. We're all just these autonomous selves, you know, doing our own thing. Maybe it's modern transportation, uh, suburban sprawl, and, uh, you know, that crush of time and space that we can all move quicker and go further, more so than any other culture or civilization's ever done. And maybe that makes us not value our elders, you know. Or maybe it's just Madison Avenue, And their constant barrage of alluring us with new and improved and young and beautiful, you know, and all that identity advertising about you are this car, and if you have this car, then that's who you are, you know. So, oh yeah, that's me, you know. Maybe for whatever reason, we don't value our elders, you know. We're infatuated with youth and beauty. And what's really weird is, is all other cultures throughout time And even today, have always valued their elders. We are the weird ones, historically speaking. The culture in the Bible, 2,000 years ago, and even before, of course, revered and honored their elders. Elders were the wise sages in the Bible. If you wanted to reach the pinnacle of smart, you went to the elders. They were like some sort of Bible Times, Wikipedia, walking TED Talks, you know, and elders passed on the stories of the culture, the stories of the tribe. The, the identity of the family was wrapped up in the elders, not in what was new. You'll never find in the Bible some disparaging, granny-dumping stories. Instead, you find wisdom writings in the very center of the Bible. The book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, the Psalms. You know, Ecclesiastes, you reach wisdom, it's all about being old. They are the ones who are wise. And um, not, not really so in our culture. We don't really know what that means. So in the Bible, also just to keep piling on here, in the Bible, elders were economically valuable. Actually, just like children were economically valuable throughout centuries, and even in this country until a few years ago. And elders were too. They were economically valuable. Elders watched children while uh, parents went into the fields or into the marketplace or, you know, drove stock or whatever they had to do. Um, They tended shops. They did chores around the home. Children uh, then were exposed because of the extended family living in the house. Children were exposed to the entire life cycle. They knew what long-term illness looked like. They knew what it's like to begin to move slow. They understood what it means to take care of your stuff and to take care of your body. They, they saw all of life. It slowed down people's souls because they knew what life was all about by watching the elders in the house. How many of our children these days, you know, have ever had anybody old living in the house with them? Do they understand long-term illness? Do they understand death? How many of our children do we leave at home for our funeral? Because we don't want to make them sad, you know? How do they understand life? How do they understand the whole cycle of life? When do we have the opportunity to learn wisdom from our elders in our culture? Why don't we value our elders? Well, here's my opinion, just being a pastor and a spiritual director for all these decades. I just think it's as simple as this. We just don't have room In our soul for our elders. We just don't have the capacity to understand it. It's like this, so I'll just tell you a story. There was once an important businessman whose life was in chaos, and he was not content or happy. He was eaten alive by worry and anxiety. Moreover, he just walked around with a low-grade, seething anger everywhere he went. Everything was wrong in his life, and he didn't like it, and um, so he went to an old monk for spiritual direction, and the old monk, when he got there, when the man got there, the old monk asked him to sit down, and if he wanted some tea, and then he asked the businessman to tell him a story, what's going on? And the businessman sat down and began ranting and raving and complaining about work and his marriage and home and his business, what's wrong with the country and the politicians, all those other people, you know, that are ruining everything. And he just prattled and clanged on like some old junkyard wind chime. The monk, meanwhile, just nodded, politely smiled, fixed the tea, kept silent, did not interrupt the man, handed the man his teacup, which the man put on his his knee, and the monk began to pour the tea, filling the cup. And the man just kept prattling and talking, and the tea overflowed out of the cup onto the saucer, and over the saucer's edge, and onto the man's nice uh, suit, pant leg. And suddenly the man said, what are you doing? He burst out. And the old monk stopped pouring and sat down and said, Your cup is so full, there's no room for God. If you desire direction, you must first empty the cup. We have no room for wisdom. Therefore, we have no room for elders, we have no room for anything. You know, I've noticed when I'm around older folk, they're just quiet because they recognize that nobody has room for them. So why would they want to waste their wisdom on people who have no capacity for it? They've just grown quiet. Over the past years, i put quite a bit of time into trying to understand the stages of faith uh, because it's such an ignored thing in our brand of Christianity around here at Lakeland and churches like us. And the stages of faith uh, follow a person's life. I've put some notes on a half sheet if you're the kind of person who likes some notes because some of the stuff I'm going to say is just a bit wordy, so I put that out there for you. And you can see on there the three stages of faith. And it goes simply, the simplest versions like this um, In your youth, you're all about productivity. You're a doer, you're a human doing, and um, you learn, you accumulate, and you grow, and that's all good. Then the next stage of faith and in life, it just follows the stages of life, basically. In midlife, you, you truly become a spiritual person. You become a soul. You find out that you have a soul, and you begin to question what, what is life all about, and if you're good at it, and you have a strong faith, then you realize, you know, I need to become a human being, you know, instead of a human doing. And then, in the third stage of life, you become one with God. Heaven begins to surround you here on earth, and you become a deep soul. You become a friend of God. And that's, that's what we're looking forward to if you're doing well in your spiritual journey. So if you want to know how to be with God, then you need to learn this from elders. So here's one of the major reasons why we need our elders in the church and in our lives. We need our Simeons and our Annas. Elders, Elders, you must be those kind of souls that are attractive to us that are one with God. We need this example. We so desperately need you in our churches today that seem to get stuck in productivity. Otherwise, we don't progress in the spiritual journey. So, elders, you have work to do. Now, you may be asking, so then, okay, great, I get it. I need to be this wise person. I need to be the presence of God. I need to be one with God. How's that work? How do I get that conveyed to my family? Here we are at Christmas time. You're all going to be hanging out together. How's this get done? Many, many ideas can come to mind. But here's some. Learn how to tell the truth, but tell it slant. Emily Dickinson said, tell the truth, but tell it slant. And so she wrote poetry. But here's a story, and I would suggest then that you get these stories from a source of a book we have around here a lot, especially if you've been on retreat with me, The Wisdom of the Desert Fathers. The Desert Fathers and Mothers told the truth, and they told it slant. So here's a story, and I have it in print there for you if you want it. Um, It it goes like this. A brother monk committed some sin, and all the brothers were going to come together to judge him. That's what they did. They asked the leader, Abbot Moses, to join them, but Abbot Moses would not come. The priest finally asked Abbot Moses that everyone was waiting for him. And ask him to come. So he takes an old basket and puts sand in it, and he carries the basket into the meeting. And the old monk walks in with a basket, draining the sand out of it, and everyone says, What's this, Abbot Moses? And the old man replies, You asked me to come judge another, and my sin runs out behind me. And on hearing this, the assembly pardoned the brother and dispersed. That's telling the truth and telling it slant. Now, maybe you're not as brilliant as the desert fathers and mothers and can't think of the idea of coming into your kid's living room with a basket full of sand, which would go over really well. (laughs) But you could at least quote the Proverbs. My mom quoted the Proverbs to me. Uh, Here's the one I remember. It's one of my favorites. She said this. She said, it's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. And that's kind of Mark Twain's version of Psalm 10, 14. Now, here's another one, and this one's a little crafty, so you're going to have to think about this one. Proverbs 14:4. 4. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the oxen. Think about it. Read it. The manger's clean, but if you want to get anything done, you're going to have to shovel something. <clears throat> Elders, wisdom tells the truth, but it tells it slant. Your job is to tell a story. That's what you do. You're a storytellers in the family. Leverage the truth about how life works, because that's actually the definition of wisdom, how life works. But practice telling the truth through stories and metaphors and word pictures. Don't just tell them straight up. Nobody's listening. You begin to tell a story, everyone starts to listen. Parents, you could do the same thing to your kids. So, elders, if you want to become a Simeon or an Anna... Then take the advice of this very intelligent grand lady, which I just finally soaked into this last year, Joan Erickson, a psychotherapist. She's the wife of a famous psychotherapist, Eric Erickson, uh, Joan Erickson, Eric Erickson. You heard all about him in psychology 101 or whatever it was back in high school and then quickly forgot about it. That's totally fine. They're from Vienna. Aren't all the great psychotherapists all from Vienna, you know? You gotta have that thick German accent to make you sound cool if you're a psychotherapist. What is wrong with you? Um, you know? But Joan is famous all by herself, right? Joan Erickson is famous because she and her husband wrote a famous little thin book called The Life Cycle Completed, all right? And Eric is famous because he wrote about these eight stages of life. And then Joan, in her 90s, wrote a ninth stage. So when she talks about the stages of life, she's writing in her 90s, she knows what she's talking about. A psychotherapist writing about life stages in her 90s. She's brilliant, right? So I'm gonna give you a little bit about what she said, all right? She says this. She says, if you, she adds this final stage, and she says, if you want to know what it's like to be in your 90s and live life, she says you need to learn transcendence. Not transcendence, transcend dance, you know, like dance, 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 dance. Transcendence is what she says. How does one accomplish transcendence? And so I'm going to quote, I put the quote in there for you. Transcendence may be a regaining of lost skills, including play, activity, Joy and song. And above all, a major leap above and beyond the fear of death. She's writing this when she's 93. I think we all get it. Death is easy. Long-term illness is a drag. Right? But you have to overcome it, she says. You've got to become fearless. And realize, you're going to die anyway. Get over it. Begin to live again. Stop fearing. Joan Erickson writes this when she's 93 and she says with this voice of authority, you've got to learn to dance, folks. That's the transcendent part of living. And she says, it will require a great humility because you have to stop thinking you're going to conquer the world and never die. Only then are you set free to live. She says that to live a complete life you must come to realize that your entire life is a gift. It is a gift to other people. It is the only gift you have in this life. To give yourself away to others is what you were put here on the earth to do. Give your life away. She says That this, in this respect, your death is your greatest gift. One of my professors, Ruth Haley Barton said, when you die, you're not gone. You just get spread around. You become larger than what you were when you were here. Everyone takes a little bit with you. You become larger than you. That's your gift. Lean into it. Erickson said in old age, you either face despair or integrity. Despair or integrity. You despair because you realize your time is short, and that can lead to despair and depression. Or you embrace integrity, that your life has been one complete gift. All the ups and downs, all the mistakes and the goof ups, all the relational and emotional baggage, it all belongs. And you celebrate life as it is, as it was given to you and what you did with it. Integrity means, by definition, it means to bring your whole life together. That's what it means to be a person of integrity. Everything is complete. It all belongs. The good and the bad and the ugly. And you have to learn to accept that and then you become a person of integrity. It's not just moralism. Erickson's going to say, as we saw in our own elders on the video... Practically speaking, Joan says elders need community, not isolation. And part of the problem we have in our culture of not understanding elders is we isolate them. And they need community, and if they get community, they thrive, right? She says that perhaps elders over 90, this is awesome, some lady who's in her 90s writing this, she says, perhaps elders over 90 should meet together and compare new experiences and enjoyable short-range plans, You know, you know, just buy yellow bananas. Don't get the green ones. You know what I'm saying? But she says you get the picture. She's saying you ought to be doing stuff. You ought to be having new experiences. You ought to be taking an art class. You ought to be doing some travel. You ought to be doing something fun. Spend the kids' money. Why do you want to give it to them? You know, get out there, have some new experiences. Have something going on. Don't get into isolation. And families, this is your job too. Joan's greatest suggestion, however, I think, for elders is that they have to shift from the material world and material thinking to a cosmic world and cosmic thinking. In other words, Joan, who, by the way, I kind of figure out that she's a person of faith. Joan Erickson says, you have to become heaven all around you as an elder. You are the presence of heaven everywhere you go. That's part of your gift. You have to become like old Brother Lawrence in that little book called Practicing the Presence of God, which every Christian ought to read. And Brother Lawrence says, I no longer desire to go to heaven. I am in heaven. It's all around me all the time. I don't need to go there anymore. I'm already there. Notice Simeon and Anna did not sit around the temple complaining about the sorry state of Israel and how lousy the Roman Empire was. Instead, they both brought inspiration and words and vision of hope and assurance to their countrymen, to their nation, to the temple, to these two young parents, Mary and Joseph. They breathe life into a despairing world. And dear Lord, isn't it needed these days, this Christmas of all Christmases, that we need somebody to not, you know, feed the despair? Speak salvation into your family and neighbors, be a seer, not another blind leading the blind. So, families, we got work for you to do. Here's some advice for how you should handle your elders these days. And it's real simple. I don't know why we don't want to do it because it's just work. That's why. Give your elders something to do on Christmas and the days before and thereafter. When you're all hanging out together, they need a job. Not, Granny, hold this spoon. Give them something legit to do. They're going to help cook. Wear them out. Make sure they want to leave your house at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Wear them down. Give them meaningful work. Why? Not just to make them economically valuable during the Christmas holiday. Because when the hands are busy, stories come out. Yeah? Tell your elders, your grandparents to bring a photo album. Dear God, they're the only last generation with a photo album, so you might as well look at it. The rest of us are all going to be flicking through on Apple TV if we do that. Bring a photo album and walk through it. Who are these people? And all the stories come out. See, families, don't ask your eldest elders what they're doing. How are you doing? What are you doing today? What plans have you made? All that stuff. That's fine, I guess. Ask them way it used to be, ask them this question, what was your favorite Christmas when you were a kid and you were growing up? And maybe they'll tell some dirt on your parents, and that's always a lot of fun. (laughs) So, Simeon's and Anna's in the room, you need to be that voice that says, for my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord, the consolation of Israel's present, heaven is all around me, I see, I see when nobody else sees. I see God. I see heaven. I no longer desire to go there for it's all around me right now. That's what you need to be saying. You need to walk in with that. Speak salvation into your family and your neighbors. Be a seer. You need to be needed. This is what you're going to bring to this Christmas. This is how your family will thrive when you do this. They need you. They'll give you a job, and that's going to be your best medicine for you as well as for everybody else. Bring this sort of thing to Christmas. Um, And load them up. We just forced Lori's dad, he's in his 80s. We just forced him to go to Disneyland with the entire family and a whole bunch of go-getters. And he was like, I don't want to go. He, like, decided the last week, you know what I mean, like, bought the ticket. We dragged him all over Disneyland. I mean, he didn't stay up till midnight or anything like that, like the rest of us were all doing. But you know, we dragged him off to Disneyland. Did he need it? Yeah. Did he want it? Heck no. You know, but while he was there, it all turned out good. Right? And it was a lot of fun. And he was our ground of being. He's our taproot. And if he wasn't there, what would Disneyland be? That's thriving, everyone. That's thriving. And that's why we need our elders. So push away the despair and embrace the integrity. And be the gift that you were meant to be, elders. Be an Anna, be a Simeon, and be the voice of heaven all around us. Lord, we lift ourselves up to you. We lift up our families and our elders. Lord, may we include them into our lives and may they include us into their lives. May we learn wisdom. May we be intergenerational. May we understand the prophetic seeing voice of our elders and how desperately we need them. In the name of Jesus, and we all said, amen.